When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. From BritishIceHockey.co.uk, this is the BIH Show. Hi there and welcome to the first ever BIH Icons podcast where we talk to a former player or coach and get their reflections of their time in the UK. I'm Craig Anderson and in this first edition we spoke at length with Mark Lefebvre, a man who played for Sheffield Steelers, Coventry Blaze and Edinburgh Capitals, then later coached Coventry and Dundee Stars and was also an assistant coach in Sheffield. He talks to us about the highs and the lows of his time in the Elite League and what he's up to now. Sit back and enjoy as we hear all about Mark's adventures in the UK. This is BIH Icons. You're listening to the BIH Show. BIH. Mark, how did a 20-year-old rookie like yourself end up joining a team like Sheffield Steelers during the Elite League's first season? Well, I had uh, an agent at the time named uh, Frank Pietrangelo, and I'm sure UK hockey fans uh, know the name from his time with Manchester in the old Super League. And... Uh, I was kind of at a crossroads that I want to go to school and play there. Uh, a few opportunities in the Canadian uh, university system to go play. Uh, I want to go to the East Coast and give that a go. Um, and then this opportunity came up when the transition from the Super League to the, what we know now as the, the Elite League. Uh, I was going through a transition. And uh, being having a British passport, obviously that helped my chances. And uh, Frank floated that out to me that there's an opportunity in a team called Sheffield that I'd never heard of before, uh, except for the Full Monty movie. That's about it. <laughs> and uh, and so I did my research and everything, and I thought, you know what, uh, it looks like a great opportunity, and you know, with a bunch of North Americans as well, and um, you know, my mother being from uh, from rugby, and my grandparents being from there as well, I thought uh, it'd be a great opportunity to go there. So what was your first impression when you got there and did it live up to what you expected in those early days? Well, Andy Akers, uh, the equipment manager, picked me up from the airport. I can't even remember what airport I flew into now. Um, but I got there. It was a new thing for me. I was a young man. Um, you know, me and my teammates, for, for the first time, a lot of these guys had played in the American League, some in the NHL. So it was uh, just a great experience to get to know these guys and learn from them. 
Um, you know, obviously having a great coach in Mike Blaisdell, um, that, that helped the transition pretty easily. Uh, I actually had a billet family that my first, my two years in Sheffield there, the Smiths, who I'm still great friends with uh, to this day. And um, so that made the transition pretty easy. Um, the one thing I noticed, it was uh, when I got to the airport, like I said, I couldn't remember what airport, and you know, people drinking pints at 10 o'clock in the morning. That was a bit of uh, an eye-opening experience for me, um, you know, not knowing the UK culture too much. But, uh, you know, overall, the first impressions were great. You mentioned Mike Blaisdell there. He was your, your first coach. What was he like to work with? You know, he wasn't much of an X's and O's guy. Uh, but his motivation was was tremendous, and uh, you know the guys fed off his energy. He just knew how to get the guys going and make the right moves. You know, say the right things at the right time. Um, tremendous motivator, and I think that was a big thing for us winning. I don't think we were the, the most skilled team in the league that year. Um, I think Nottingham may have had a more skilled team, maybe even Belfast. But our desire and our will to win uh, every night. Uh, we and we were like a family. We were a complete package that year. We didn't really make any changes, um, and we were on these hot streaks. And you know, we were able to win two trophies. And uh, you know, full credit to Blazer for that. And, and he was the one who kept everybody together. Now, the first game you played was against London Racers. Now, I had a look at this. This is actually the first ever game in the Elite League era when it started in two thousand and three. If I've got that right. So, what was it like to be part of history in many ways? It was definitely a different experience. We had actually played a preseason match against Beatenheim in the German League the week before at the arena. And so I'm like, this is great. Drums, everything, people singing and clapping. Great great building we had. And then we went and played Alexandria Palace. And there's no glass. It was just netting around the board. So that was definitely a different experience. But, you know, I think we won 6-1 or something like that. We blew them out in the first game. And... I think I knew now, looking back at that, or knew then that we had a special team, even from that first game, and uh, you know, it's just exciting to be part of. Tell us about some of the guys you played with that year, some of the, the characters that, that still remain in your memory. Uh, well, you know, Jared Adams, uh, you know, he was the utility guy. He could play forward, he could play D, he was tough as they could, uh, come. Uh, he turned out to be a great coach in the league as well. Um, Dion Darling was a phenomenal captain. He was the, probably the moodiest guy I had ever played with. Um, but he came to play every night, and he led by example. He fought all the heavyweights. Um, he contributed, contributed offensively as well, great defensively, and he was a real leader in that room. Um, you know, he wasn't the happiest guy all the time, but uh, he, he's a great leader for sure. Uh, Mike Perron. Um, just a hard-nosed player. Every team should want to have a Mike Perron on their team. I, I love guys like that. And he, he and I became really good friends off the ice. Uh, we still talk to this day. Um, Eric Anderson was a great two-way forward for us. Uh, great guy. I ended up playing with uh, with Eric again in Elmira a few years later. Um, great guy. Great family guy. And Mark Dudiam, who was the MVP of the league that year, I believe, or top scorer, something like that. He was tremendous as well. And obviously, we all know his brother is the coach of fight. Uh, Mark was just a tremendous player um, and, and then goal we, we started with Rob Dobson at the start of the year and um, he decided to go back to school in Canada at Christmas time and I think this is where we won the whole thing is when we brought Christian Bronsard in as our goalie uh, absolutely phenomenal goalie true pro, true professional 
uh, and he won us games on a lot of nights. Um, and I thought he was the best goalie from. Obviously, he didn't get there till just after Christmas, and he was the best goalie in the league by far. Then, um, you know, just a whole cast of characters, that whole team. Brent Bobick, who's a veteran guy in the league uh, from the Super League days and in, in the UK game. You know, just tremendous people overall. And I think I think what really made our defense tick actually was was when we got Kevin Bolabrook. Um, I think around October time, just after American League camps and HL camps were done, and we were able to pick him up and. He was the one who got us going, I think, uh, in the fall. Uh, I think we had lost five in a row or something like that, and things weren't going well at that time. And um, I think they're threatening changes and everything, and then we signed Kevin, and, and um, you know, we never looked back. So what was it like to win the league in the playoffs in your, your very first season as a pro? I dare say it would have led to some really special memories. Yeah, it was. It was a weird night. Um, we we played in Belfast on the Friday night, and we knew we had to play Nottingham the next night, and we thought it was going to come down to that Nottingham game on the Saturday. And uh, we ended up beating Belfast on the Friday in Belfast, and we're all sitting around the hotel um, just having our post-game meal, just, you know, um, just hanging out, getting ready, getting focused for the next game the next night. And uh, those London racers, who I only think won three or four games that year, Ended up beating Nottingham on the Friday night. And uh, let's just say we had a little bit of a celebration that night. I don't think we got to bed to, uh, before 5 a.m. Um, and I'll remember this. The only guy that didn't go out was Christian Bronstar. He said, you boys uh, go have some fun. I got you guys tomorrow night. We ended up going to Nottingham. And uh, Dave Sims in his white suit showed up in, uh, <laughs> in the, in the uh, National Ice Center and uh, – and uh, we won three nothing, and I don't think one guy would have passed the breathalyzer that night, except for our goalie, and he was phenomenal that night. So we had another big celebration in Nottingham, and of course the big celebration back at the arena when we came back, and then uh, the playoffs. That was, uh, you know, what an experience. My father flew over. I got to experience that with him, uh, which I still hold uh, to my heart to this day. That was a special moment for us and our family. Um, we beat Carter from the semifinals. I always remind Simsy that I got I got the game winning goal in that game, which is true. I, I have the celebration photo <laughs> hanging up in my house as, as a good reminder. But then, uh, obviously, we beat Nottingham in the final the next day on the Sunday. And uh, you know, the one year championship, your your first year as a pro at whatever level, it, it's this truly a special experience. And uh, like I said, we had a tremendous uh, group of guys, great coach and Blazer, uh, great support staff around us, and. Uh, you know, I haven't got a sniff ever since, and that was back in 2003, 2004, so I really cherish that moment. Now let's take the conversation a wee bit off track here now. Anybody that knows you and anyone who follows you on social media knows that you like your football, and the one team in particular that stands out is uh, Rotherham United, who play in English League One, the third tier in English football. How did that relationship come about? Well, the the family I lived with in Sheffield, uh, the Smiths, are huge supporters, and, and they sponsor uh, the Millers, and uh, that's where that all started. So I started going to matches with them at the old stadium, and uh, it's ever been it's ever since then it's been a, it's been a love and hate relationship, I guess, with rather because they keep going up and down all the time. But uh, <laughs> you know, I've been fortunate to go to a few matches at the, at the new stadium. Um, you know, it's unfortunate right now the league's postponed because I think they're going to go back up to the championship. And uh, you know, I, I, I've come to the realization that 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 you know, for Rotherham, that's always going to be they're going to bounce up and down. Um, and but that's part of being a supporter—you stick through them uh, through thick and thin. But 
it, it's it's weird. You know, you, you go you live in America or Canada, and they all think Manchester United or Chelsea, Man City, all these teams, Barcelona. Um, so when I tell people I'm a Rotherham supporter, they have they just look at me with two heads. They have no idea <laughs> there's actually support a Canadian supporter uh, supporting a team that's in League One. And of course, uh, yeah, you're right. Second place, they were 62 points from 35 games, and before that league shut down. So it's a case of what might have been, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. It'd be nice if uh, they do go back up, but I, I think you know they're in good hands. I think Paul Warren's doing a good job there. I think uh, you know for their budget and everything, and they, like I said, they got a beautiful new stadium there. Um, he's doing a phenomenal job, even though they got. Uh, they didn't do too well last year, getting relegated in that, but that's part of it. Like I said earlier, it's it's going to be a yo-yo bouncing up and down, and um, and that that's just the way it is with them. And uh, I've come to expect that now. So back to your career, and after a couple of years at Sheffield, you made the relatively short move to Coventry Blaze, um, in more than one sense. It was only twenty-four appearances you made for them in your short time there, and then you were back in North America. You didn't see out the season. How come it was such a a short stay with the Blaze in, in two thousand and five, two thousand and six? Uh, well, I was there the whole season. Um, I had this terrible elbow injury. Um, I think I had two or three surgeries that season on it. Uh, basically, it's, it's more of an, uh, an infection, like bursitis. And you just can't move your arm. It's an infection all up and down your arm. And, um, you know, you try playing through it, but then you rip the stitches out again of it, out of it. And uh, I had problems off and on with that elbow for many years. And, and basically, just bone sitting underneath the, the skin right now. Um, so that was the issue. That's why I only played uh, that many games. Um, but I was there the whole season. And of course, you joined a team that had just won the Grand Slam the year before. So, uh, you know, I'm curious to know what the vibe was around the team after such a successful season. I imagine there was pressure still on them to succeed the following season. Did you feel that? Yeah, a little bit. But I knew from it, my experience the year before in Sheffield because we'd won uh, in my first year that like we talked about the playoffs in the league and the heavy expectations we had the next season um, back in Sheffield. So I kind of knew going into Coventry would have been the same feeling. But there's such a large turnover in players and they were trying to you know get the same type of players to fit the certain roles out. I just don't think it worked. Uh, well, obviously, it didn't win any trophies. But um, so, yeah, you felt that pressure. And then, you know, no matter what level of... of hockey or sport you're at somebody wins a championship the next year that, that there's that much more pressure and expectation on you and um you know we did get to the two cup finals and i think we lost both in shootouts and um but the expectations were high and that's you know we expected that but um you know obviously we didn't live up to it so you went away came back in 2009 signed for edinburgh capitals where doug christensen was the, the player coach and it was a team that on paper was an impressive one. The likes of Ben O'Connor, Mark Garside, they were two players, for example, that played there. They went on and, and won league titles. So tell us about that team and what it was like at Murrayfield that year. You know, it reminded me a lot of, of the team we had in Sheffield um, that we won with. It was a family. It basically was. And Doug did a great job of, of um, keeping us all together. And um, it was a tight family unit. Great guys. I live with uh, two phenomenal people, Mark Smith and, uh, and Owen Fussy. And uh, Owen Fussy, one of the best pros I've ever been around, and how he conducted his business. And um, there's a reason he got to the America or to the NHL and played in the American League for such a long time. And Mark Smith and I had a good time together. We, we had a, a few late nights, but uh, he was a great uh, teammate and roommate as well. And uh, the whole group: uh, Dan Walsh, Jeff Hutchins, Cody Rakowski, and that. Um, 
you know, I think we were disappointed that we lost to Nottingham in the quarterfinals of playoffs. Uh, I think we finished sixth that year. I think it was the highest uh, place by an Edinburgh team in the Elite League era. Uh, Marty Single was a great captain, uh, but it was a great team and it was a great, phenomenal city. Um, one of the great cities I've ever lived in. And, uh, you know, it's just a great atmosphere our team was that year. And, uh, you know, some great guys I still talk to this year, uh, to this day. And, and, you know, Scott McKenzie's another great guy that, that was on that club as well. So um, we had a good cast of characters, and uh, we all bonded well. And, um, you know, a full credit to Doug and uh, keeping that thing together. Now, I wanted to ask you, maybe I should ask this back at the start. Describe what kind of a player you were um, when you were out there doing your stuff, just for, for anybody that maybe didn't see you playing. Well, I wasn't the most skilled guy, I'll admit that. <laughs> uh, I was a, you know, I was a third-line grinder. You know, I played some PK the odd power play me on the second unit, but, you know, I just worked my tail off all the time. Um, and that's all. Finished my checks, me a bit of a wind-up guy. I wasn't the best fighter either, so, uh, but I like to talk a lot. So, but, uh, you know, hard worker, two-way forward, um, just blue-collar work ethic. And, uh, you know, I just loved playing. That's all it was. It wasn't a matter to me how many goals I scored or anything. I, I just loved uh, being part of the group and, uh, going to the rink every day and, and being part of that uh, family unit, and uh, and that basically that's what it was. I, I, like I said, I was never going to put up a lot of points or anything like that, but uh, I think I brought something to the table every night. So a couple of years later, you hung up your skates. Twenty twelve, you, you you retired as a player. You were only twenty nine at the time, so you, you come into coaching. You had a couple of spells as a head coach, and then you were brought back to the UK as assistant coach at Sheffield Steelers. Doug Christensen, your old your old boss from Edinburgh, was in charge there. How did that all come about? Um, Doug and I had kept in contact over the years there, and uh, you know we became good friends and everything. And uh, he was looking for an assistant, but. Um, you know, full credit to Doug. There's a full-on interview process, and um, and and that's the way it should be. And I had to earn that job. And you know, unfortunately, uh, he selected me to be assistant coach. We went over a few things, and uh, you know, I like I liked what we heard, what I heard, and um, met we met up at the NHL draft that year in New York City, and uh, we went over the budget and everything like that, and uh, it was even more enticing, and we got the deal done, and. Um, you know, I'm very grateful for Doug giving me up the opportunity. So let's take a step back. How come you decided to retire so young? Was it injury-based or was coaching maybe your calling at that point? It, it was a couple of things. I injuries a lot. I think my body was just saying no more. Um, you know, as much as I loved to play, and I think my body didn't want to go through the whole training thing again uh, of the summer. Um, you know, I was 29. I was coming up on 30. You know, I knew I wasn't going to make it to the higher leagues or anything like that. So... I thought, kind of thought, you know, coaching was my next thing. I wanted to stay in the game and involved. And, uh, you know, I had some great opportunities. And I, I said, you know what, let's go with this and uh, get two feet in. And and I've never looked back. So back at Sheffield, back working with Doug, was it a different club to the one you left as a player? I, obviously, 10 years had gone past, I think, uh, or eight years, whatever it was. And, and obviously a little bit different. You still have the characters around, like, you know, obviously Simsy and uh, that hate for Nottingham. Um, it's just, I think just the game had changed so much and not, not just at Sheffield, but I think hockey overall. Um, mentalities have changed. Games evolved on, on and off the ice. So, 
you know, it was still a great feeling. I still loved going to the arena every day. I had so many great memories there. And um, but I think I just think things have changed overall, and I, and I think things have changed now even more so. Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely a different feeling. Um, but it was still a great uh, opportunity. Now, looking back on this, and this is where it gets a bit interesting, you left the club in February, you didn't stay the whole season, you took on um, the head coach's job at Coventry Blaze where you replaced Matt Soderstrom. Two, three days later, Doug Christensen left Sheffield Steelers. What happened? It was kind of weird. We were uh, Doug and I had met in the office on the Monday night. We were going getting ready for, it was a Wednesday night Challenge Cup semi-final against Nottingham. Uh, um, and his phone rang, and Take a phone call, and, you know, as you do. And then uh, my phone rang. Goes, you might want to pick that up. I said, all right. So I picked it up. I didn't recognize the number, and it was uh, Paul Thompson on the other line. Um, talked to me briefly, just uh, and they were offering me the job in, in Coventry, and I and I didn't really have time to think about it. I said, you know what, going from assistant coach to head coach, and um, was the right transition. And uh, obviously, I accepted it, and, and uh, Doug was great about it. And then. Um, so I got on the train the next morning at like 5.30, a.m. from Sheffield to Coventry, ran my first practice. Uh, Wednesday ran a second practice, and I had to get back to Sheffield to uh, to get the rest of my things. And I went to the uh, Challenge Cup semi-game in Sheffield that night, say goodbye to the guys and everything, um, and the staff, and thank them. And uh, Nottingham won the game, if I'm correct, uh, on the Wednesday. And uh, Simsy gave me a ride home. Um because I had to go back to the Coventry guys coaching the next night in Cardiff. was going to be my first game. so And we talked and then everything. And uh, they didn't give me any indication on anything. And then uh, Thursday, I'm on the bus to, to Cardiff, uh, take charge of my first game in Coventry. I look down on my phone, and there's a text message from Doug saying he'd been relieved of his duties. And, uh, you know, you just sit there for a few minutes. I was quite in shock because I had no ind- indication from anyone or anything that was going on. I think... Uh, you know, some people have, have thought that, you know, the club, the Steelers, it took care of me and made sure I had uh, myself lined up with something before they made that move. And I I don't believe that uh, at all. Um, nothing was ever mentioned to me about making a change. Um, you know, I think it was just a coincidence more than anything. And, um, you know, it was unfortunate because, th- you know, it was a weird... It was a weird uh, move to make, I think. Uh, you know, the team was in second place or third place at the time, battling the audience. No one was catching Belfast. They were just so far ahead of everybody. The team had got to the semifinals in the Challenge Cup. So uh, I'm quite shocked the move was made uh, to relieve Doug of his duties, um, especially only in, in the first season. And, um, you know, uh, I think it strained our relationship a little bit. Um, I think there's some hurt feelings on both sides mine for myself and obviously Doug as well and I think I I can't speak for him I think he felt me I side with Sheffield and uh looking back maybe I did a little bit and um you know it strained our relationship I'm glad to say that you know we've became more amicable and and we we talked to this day we've we've patched things up for the most part uh we're able to talk on the phone about players and and evaluations and and uh you know, we, we were able to share a drink last year at the NHL draft. So, um, you know, it was unfortunate that what happened in Sheffield uh, at the end there. And, you know, it obviously hurt our friendship. And, you know, a lot of it was my doing and the way I handled it uh, afterwards. And I think he feels the same way. But, uh, you know, it's part of being an adult and, and being men about it. And, um, you know, it's water on the bridge to me. And, uh, 
I, you know, I never seem ever maybe we'll work together again one day down the road. How was your relationship with Doug working together as, as head coach and assistant coach? Obviously, it would have been different from when the two of you were players at Edinburgh together, and of course, Doug was the coach there. But you were working much more closely together. You're, you're seeing each other all the time. How was that dynamic between the two of you? It was good. We had a great dynamic. Um, you know, obviously, I was that go between between the players and, and, and Doug, obviously, but uh, that's, that's just part of being an assistant. But overall, it was a. It was a great relationship up and up until the point of, of what happened that week, um, and, and it, like I said earlier, it's unfortunate that it went, it went that way. And, and like I said, there was hurt feelings on both sides. But up until then, it was a uh, it was a great relationship. So it was on to Coventry, as we said. You replaced Matt Soderstrom, Paul Thompson got you on board, and uh, you, you went from there. Uh, again, that's a little bit of a strange one. You got the the last couple of months of one season, the full summer to bring your team in. And then the first few months of the next season, that must have been quite quite a, an experience for you. You know, it was a great learning experience. Um, I, I was young. Uh, I still consider myself young, but I was younger at the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, there's some things I said that I probably should have just kept to myself. And, um, you know, I, I thought I knew everything and I wasn't taking advice from anybody. Um, and I was just going to take on the world and um, you know, looking back, it was like I said, it was a grid learning experience and, and a humbling experience for for everything that happened. It's made me a better coach. Uh, I think I got complacent, um, and by my own amends, that's my own fault. And um, so those things happen. Like you said, every you know, the greatest coaches in the world get fired too. But uh, you know, I took everything in stride. I was able to look in the mirror and, and look, you know, and, and look back and and. You know, I learned a lot from it, uh, both as both as a coach and both as a person, and what I had to do and what I had to do better. And you know, you're trying to learn every day as a coach. And uh, you know, I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity Coventry gave me. I'm also grateful that maybe they 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 fired me at the right time to uh, give me a little kick in the ass um, and humble me a bit. And uh, I've never made I've made sure not to get complacent ever again. And of course, from there, Chuck Weber took the team on and led them to the playoffs at the end of that season, 2014-15. It must have been a little bit bittersweet, the fact that it was largely your players that, that went on and won that. You know, Chuck did an amazing job with that group. Uh, you know, obviously he was able to get something out of that group that I wasn't able to get. And, um, you know, full credit to him. And, uh, and, and hey, I was proud of those guys. I sent them text messages, the whole group of text messages, saying I was proud of them and, and congratulate them. And, uh you know, and I'm still I still talk I'm still talk to Ryan O'Mara quite a bit uh, to this day. So I still uh, am friendly with quite a few of those guys. And uh, obviously, I coached Tanakh and Sescon, uh, you know, in in, in Dundee um, the next couple of years. So um, I, I, I like I said, Doug did our uh, Chuck did a, an amazing job uh, with that group, and uh, I was happy for. Him. Now it's interesting here because. You went from Sheffield to Coventry to a Scottish team as a player, and then you did it as a coach. Sheffield to Coventry to Dundee Stars in this case. 2015, you were back north of the border um, to take on the Stars to replace Jeff Hutchins. How much of an experience was that in, in positive terms? Well, it was a fresh start for me because I, I ended up going to Hungary right after uh, I was let go yeah. in Coventry. And, um, you know, those four months of, of not being able to speak English to anybody, you're, you're in a town about a, an hour from uh, from Budapest. They're still living in communism, I think, in, in World War II. The statues are still up. I go through a security checkpoint every day to go to the rank. Um, had a translator with me. I couldn't read the menus in the 
in the restaurant or anything. And so it really made me stronger mentally, and I think it made me better as a coach um, going through that whole experience. So going to Scotland, Dundee, I learned what I I took what I learned in, in commentary and not what to do. How I wanted to build a team better, how I wanted to coach better, how I wanted to treat my players uh, better, how I want to talk on Twitter or media, you know, better. I took everything on board. Uh, I took advice. I delegated more. I did a lot of things opposite than what I did uh, in commentary. Um, obviously, didn't get complacent. I worked hard at it every day. More video, more everything. Um, and uh, like I said, I didn't want to get complacent again. And I worked at it. And so it was a great uh, experience in Dundee the two years. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it was the other day I was looking on uh, on YouTube and I just watched the highlights from the two playoff games against uh, against Brayhead and now Glasgow uh, in my second year. And, uh, you know, still great memories. Uh, both years, too. And I think we were eight minutes away from my in my first year getting to the Final Four as well against Cardiff. So, I mean, it's... Uh, you know, it was two two tremendous years and two of the best years of my life, uh, coaching wise, and, and both on in a personal level as well. That first year, you mentioned that the Cardiff game eight minutes from the final four in that first season, and I think we all remember the interview you did post game. You were close to if you weren't already in tears, and um, because you came so so close, you won four two in the first leg in Cardiff. When you look back on that, and I know times passed and times are great healer, does it still hurt that maybe you just couldn't get over the line that time? Yeah, but I think it was, like I said, it's all learning experiences, eh? So it's, uh, yeah, it hurts because I think we had a tremendous group. I mean, with uh, with Bobby Showmont, uh, Riley Wetmore, and Line Weber, and Dickinson, and Doug Clarkson. Like, we had a great team, great group of guys, and uh, they came to work for me every day, and they made me love hockey even more so, uh, coaching that group because it's a great group to work with. And, um, you know, like, uh, it, it hurt at the time. It hurt for a little while there. Um, and but like I said, it was it was a great learning experience to get to that point uh, and go through that 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 hurt um, that that made you want that much more the following season. So that's how we tried to build it for next year. But uh, you know, full credit, Carver has been a great dominant team for the last uh, x amount of years, and there's a reason they win trophies. They find ways to win games, and they de- definitely did that night. And of course, a year later, you did do it. You did get to the, the finals, beating Brayhead as they were over the two legs. And I think when I look back on the, on those two games in particular, it was it was two really off nights um, for, for Brayhead. And that's not to you know um, be disingenuous to Dundee, who were excellent over the two nights. How proud were you of, of your guys over those that, that particular weekend? Well, if you think I was in tears after the loss of Cardiff the year before, I was in tears the yeah <laughs> <laughs> for the winning for winning that thing. Um, you know what? To be honest with you, Brayhead was was the matchup we wanted. We knew they couldn't keep up with our speed. Um, we know we had a game plan in place that that they weren't going to be able to handle. And you know, the first leg, their goaltender. I mean, he played phenomenal. I mean, that could have been seven or eight one the first leg. Um, and then the second leg, we just kind of smothered him. Joe Fowler made some great saves early to keep us going. And then I think once we got that first goal in the second period with Tanaka. Um, we would never look back. And, um, you know, it was such a proud moment. I think it was, you know, other than the, the club winning the conference uh, when when Hutchie was the coach, um, you know, it was the biggest moment playoff-wise for the club in the Elite League era. And, uh, you know, I was so proud of that group. And, um, you know, they went through a lot that year, and, and I won't get into it, but they found a common bond uh, of 
dumped in a rally against when things weren't going well uh, at Christmas time and into the new year. But they, they balanced the rally. We knew we were on the outside looking in a little bit in the playoffs, and we just uh, we got things together, and we won the games we had to win. We knew if we can get points at teams like Nottingham, Cardiff, and Sheffield and that, then that was a bonus. But we need to beat teams like Fife. We need to beat Manchester. We need to beat Coventry, and we won those games, the games that mattered. Um, so, uh, you know, like I, I was so proud of that group and, and uh, what a collective group of guys. It was definitely a different cast of characters than the year before, but uh, I think the guys that were there the year before that went through that, that heartache that we had against Cardiff, uh, they took that into account uh, in the semifinals, Brayhead, and they, they used that as a learning experience as well. I recall the, the build-up to the, the playoff finals weekend that year. I think I was working for the league um, that, that, that week, and we did a couple of things in the build-up to it. And you were, I mean, excited, I think, is is, is an understatement. How do, how do you recall that, that week and the build-up to the, the weekend itself? Well, it was a weird week because they uh, the team had never been to the Final Four before, so our practice times were all changed. We used to practice at 12.15, so we were – and then – we had to start practicing at night um, at six o'clock or something like that because this the ice availability wasn't there. So that changed things a little bit for us in the buildup. Um, unfortunately, we had a death in the, in the organization that week as well. And uh, Big Andy, um, it was a fixture around the arena and around the team uh, for my two years there. Unfortunately, he passed away, and um, so we had you know all the boys went to the to the funeral. Um, that week too so it was a, the whole thing was just a, a different week than what we were used to obviously it was, uh, it was a build up but uh, you know I'm glad I, I'm proud of the way the guys handled it and how the club handled it and uh, you know it, it was an exciting time for us and of course the semi-final it was Cardiff again that stood in your way again another game where you, you did so so well but just came up short again but I think I recall the pride you had in the, the players after that game as well came through yeah we got up 2 nothing. I think what the difference in that game, um, you know, we ran with three lines all year. We ran three lines that game, obviously. They had that fourth line with Bordelow and those guys, that could, and Matt Myers and that, and that could just wear you down. They gave them six to eight minutes, and those six to eight minutes were the whole difference in that hockey game. Because um, I think we just, like I said, we just ran out of steam at the end. And they're and they're such a skilled team. But, again, they're, they won trophies the last X amount of years because they know how to win hockey games and close them out. And uh, they never panicked. If we would have got that third goal at some point uh, before they came back and tied and eventually took the lead, I think we would have won that game. But we just couldn't get that third goal. Uh, and I think that was the big difference there. But, uh, you know, hey, our, our effort, we just didn't go there to make up the numbers. We went there to compete, and we definitely did. Um, you know, like I said, I'm proud of the way we competed. We just fell, up, fell a little bit short, and, um, you know, we pushed them right to the end. And of course, little did we know at that point that would be your your final act as the the Dundee coach. You moved in the summer, um, that exciting role with Cincinnati. You became assistant coach there. Omar Pasha took over from you. How difficult a decision was that to make, given you were a good way through signing your players for the what would have been the following season for you? Well, it's, to be honest, I'd started looking um, even prior to the playoffs that year, um, getting my name out there. There are some financial things that were going on with the club. Um, that I had, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I knew I wasn't going to be retain, be able to retain most of the players. I think only one player was retained anyways, um, and most of the players were ready to move on. Um, just different things I don't need to go into. Um, so that, that set an indication to me that, 
you know, maybe my time, this is as far as I could take the clubs against the playoff weekend. Um, and so I started getting my name out there. Uh, I had, I, on top of that, I had to build a team as well because there's no guarantee that I was going to get another job. But I was too, still two feet in with, with Dundee, but I had to keep my look out for myself at the end of the day as well. Um, so I, I interviewed for a couple of jobs. And the whole thing with Cincinnati was was like an eight-week process. Uh, I think I interviewed three different times. Um, Buffalo had to sign off on it because they were the affiliate. Um, I spent eight hours at the NHL draft that year in Chicago with the head coach, Matt McDonald, uh, just getting to know each other. We knew each other a little bit from before, but we just wanted to get to know each other and make sure everybody was comfortable with one another and that we were going to be working together um, and how it was going to work. And, um, you know, they offered me the job, and it took a day or so to think about it, and I looked at the whole big picture and, and what kind of doors this could open and everything. So I, I took the opportunity to take that job. Um no regrets in taking it at all. I, I, you know, I thought I left the Dundee in pretty good hands, but like I said, there are things behind the scenes I wasn't happy about, and um, that, like I said, we don't need to go into. But uh, but things happen, and, and again, I'm very grateful to the Ward family for giving me the opportunity in Dundee, and um, you know, I wish them all good success. And like I say, never say never. They one day I'll end up back there, but um, I think Omar's doing a great job off the ice, uh, getting crowds in, obviously with his dual role GM as well. But uh, um, like I said, it was, it was time for me to move on. So Cincinnati, then a year with Orlando Solar Bears. More recently, you've been the head coach with the Danish side Odense Bulldogs. You were there since November up until the, the shutdown through, because of the, the coronavirus pandemic. Tell us about your experience in Denmark and how much it was. It was good to be back as the head coach, whereas you'd been the assistant coach um, in your previous two roles. Yeah, it was a, it was a weird off-season last summer. I had... Uh... I thought I was going back to Orlando. I had a second-year option on my contract that the club had to pick up, and we were talking that. And uh, I, I'd been offered a job, actually a head job, in um, uh, the Elite League uh, by a team that I won't mention. Uh, they may actually made me two offers, and it just wasn't the right time for me to go back. And uh, and my contract wasn't over till end up uh, till July first, um, so I couldn't even take the job if I wanted to without some financial penalty. And um, so and and then uh, we decided to part ways, Orlando and I, and uh, it, it was a, it was a it was a different summer, that's for sure. I interviewed for, with six different teams that summer, uh, either for assistant jobs or head jobs, and uh, I didn't get them. And then it's just how much uh, how many guy, quality coaches there are out there looking for jobs at, at every pro level, and um, and then in October I got offered a job as the head guy in, in Hungary. Um, and then I agreed to all the terms, and then uh, they they ended up winning two games in a row, and they decided to keep the coach on. Um, so, and then, so I waited a little bit more longer. Then two weeks later, I uh, had a phone call from uh, from from Odense and their GM, and uh, we talked a couple times, and um, they wanted to make a change. And three days later, I was on a plane over there, and uh, great experience, great experience. Uh, you know, I signed an extension back in January, and and it was just a great group. Um, we were the youngest team in the league. We averaged uh, age, I think, was 21 in our team. Um, you know, we had a third line of 19-year-olds, third and fourth line of 19-year-old kids. So it's uh, you only play with eight imports. It travels a little bit different. Our farthest game's four hours away. We never play back-to-back nights. We usually go like a Friday, Sunday, Tuesday schedule or a Friday, Tuesday. Um, we practice at 4 o'clock every day. 
Uh, we have a gym inside the rink, and uh, it's a, it was a great city I'm in, and uh, great organization, and uh, we're, we're looking to build this club back up. They had some success in the past, and uh, the last couple of years, they've they've scaled back their budget a little bit, but um, it looks like we're going to be up in our budget a little bit this year and uh, to get some more quality players, and uh, we're looking to make the playoffs and hopefully win a championship. But of course, everything's up in the air right now because of the, the current worldwide situation um, with the, the virus. How do you plan for next season, given there's so much uncertainty about life as a whole? Well, my whiteboard right now in my house, I got about 60 names on it, and I haven't been able to knock anybody off because right now everyone's in a holding pattern right now because no one knows uh, what's going to happen or what's going on. Obviously, you're, you're continuous to talk the age and, and players and keep them abreast of what's going on and um, everybody's being patient but I think once things get the clear and the go-ahead um, to get back to normal everyday life it's going to be a mad scramble for players and teams and agents and coaches and everything to uh, get their teams assembled. Uh, we started off already, we got a good core coming in, uh, we signed two imports already so we only have six imports left to sign so it's not going to be too crazy for us but you know, teams, uh, you know, in the elite league or, or Germany that have higher uh, import levels of 13 imports, so it's going to be a, a crazy one. And you also got to deal with with players who are first time going over to Europe. Are they too afraid to go over to Europe uh, now? So that's something you got to deal with. But, you know, right now it's just constant, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of, watching a lot of webinars with the uh, part of the NHL Coaches Association. They're, uh, they put on a lot of clinics and a lot of, uh, like I said, webinars that you can watch and learn from the best coaches in the game in the NHL. And, uh, so I'm filling up my days a lot with that right now and uh, until we get the go-ahead to be able to sign players and uh, and put a team together. So now that we're up to date, let's look back just reflectively and b- between being a player and a coach. When you think back in your time in the UK, is there any regrets that you have? Is there something that you, you maybe wish you could have done or should have done? Maybe the, you, you talked about Coventry and what went wrong there, something like that perhaps? Yeah, I mean, everything, you wish you could change one or two things along the way. I think even when we had success in, in Dundee there that year, there's a couple of things I'd like to change, but you know, honestly, I have no real regrets at all. Um, I think I take everything as a learning experience whether it's uh, within hockey or within this everyday life and you try to learn from it and uh, that's part for me that's part of that thing called life you know you're just trying to learn and be a better person every day and how you can uh, make your impact in the world and uh, you know it's uh, and I think a lot of things I learned in the, in the everyday life to and put those into hockey and vice versa and um, so no no regrets at all obviously it's not always going to be roses and rainbows and that's what's part of the learning experience and uh, yeah do I wish I had more success in Coventry because I did do uh, like that organization quite a bit. I have a lot of respect for Mike Cali and Andy Buxton and everybody there. And uh, but you know things happen for a reason. And uh, if that doesn't happen, I don't end up in Dundee and uh, and have uh, great memories from there. So that's the way I look at it. And uh, you know, like I said, everything's a learning experience. So finally. You're committed to Odense in the meantime, but do you think we'll ever see you again in these shores back as a coach for, for one of the elite league teams? Uh, never say never. Um, I have a lot of respect for the league. I have a lot of respect for a lot of people around that league. Um, I think the league's up and coming now. I think uh, you know they do well now in the Champions League, and that gives uh, a more of a door uh, to Europe and everybody looking at that league now than they would before. And, you know, style of hockey. I watched the Challenge Cup final with with uh, Sheffield and Cardiff, and 
you know, that was a great hockey game, great entertaining game uh, for, for the league. So, uh, so never say never. Like I said earlier, I, I was offered uh, a job last summer with an elite league team and made me two offers and uh, just didn't work out. Uh, and that was my doing of saying no. So, um, like I said, never say never. Um, you know, like I love coaching. So it, it uh, doesn't matter where I am. I'm always going to love and enjoy whatever country I'm in. So, uh, you know, I may end up there sooner rather than later. This is the BIH Show. Mark Lefebvre, the first to talk to us for our BIH Icon Series. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll have another one for you very soon. Subscribe to British Ice Hockey through your podcast provider to hear Icons or the BIH Show, and they're all there to catch up with. Don't forget the latest news is on our website, britishicehockey.co.uk, and stay up to date with news, features, and blogs from this wonderful sport. My sincere thanks to Mark for his time and to you for listening. And we'll be back very soon. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.